Welcome to The Odds Pod. I'm Dave Hendrick. And I'm Ben Hennessy. And we're the team behind the Scout Comics title, The Odds. A tale of love, greed, cannibalism, technological breakdown, and animal husbandry? Really? Yeah, kind of. There's monsters too. Anyway, each week we invite a new guest on to share their favourite or least favourite apocalypse stories with us, be it the demolition of a magnificent meal, the annihilation of a superior sandwich, or the inhalation of a divine dessert. You skipped lunch again, didn't you? Mm. We want to get into entropy, relax with ruination, and unpack upheaval. So, today's guest? He's an artist, an animator, a storyteller, a director. He's produced work for almost every single network there is, and his handiwork can be seen in kids' shows such as Nelly and Nora, Kiva Can Do, and he's just finished work on season four of Pinkalicious and Peterific. He is the busiest man on earth, but even so, he can always be found down the Big Bang on a Wednesday. That's new comic book day to the uninitiated. The best day of the week, he's our friend, Jamie Teen. Hey lads. Thanks for joining us, man. Yeah, delighted. Delighted. Uh, yeah, really looking forward to this. Um, really looking forward to this. And now all I can think about is sandwiches. I know. Oh, yeah. Alright, we're starting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. What's, yeah. what's your go to sandwich? Ham and cheese, toasty. Classic. The classic. Uh, the greatest of all sandwiches. Yeah, very good. Yeah. A bit of hot sauce on that guy? No, no. Oh. Don't mess around with it. A modern muck. Just. <laughs> Melt the cheese is perfect. Mm. I need I need the hot sauce all day. Or really? it's not gonna. Yeah, yeah. So are we talking, Jamie? Are we talking Grogan's? Oh my god! Yeah, now we're talking in the yeah, plastic yeah. bag. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Bows, bows on a Thursday night after working on Bowler. That's where I used to sneak off to. Yeah, have a toasty sandwich and a, a pint of Guinness. Nothing like carving up over a pint. Of Guinness. Yeah, in, yeah, in a plastic bag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Plastic toaster bags that go in. Yeah, and, you know, it just gives. Oh you yeah, yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you. I thought you were picking up something out of a plastic bag somehow. <laughs> I was like, what? <clears throat> yeah, it gives you more plastic molecules in your food <clears throat> in case you need more. You know, so probably- yeah. That's your. I know you can survive these things in the plastic apocalypse, which is yeah. going to consume us all. You know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know if you've seen my room, but it's it's <laughs> surrounded by plastic here. We're not going to eat those transformers, though. That's, that's not wrong. Um, so, uh, what's happened? You've just finished season four. Yeah, we've just Europe. we've just uh, wrapped on season four of Pinkalicious. It's been uh, six years, six years in production. Uh, the the show has been on a on a six year strife. Uh, I've been on it since two thousand and seventeen. Which is five years, right? Um, I came in as the second director on the show, cool, and took over season one, and then since then we've done. This was something that I I only recently learned is that I should be grading our special or calling our specials um, feature films because oh. apparently, according to the American um, Film Board and to the British film board anything over 45 minutes is considered a feature film no no way and I'm saying that out loud in a podcast because I'm going to be saying that everywhere <laughs> <the next one. laughs> so how, many, how many features have you directed now so um, we we made three specials for that for for Pinkalicious and um, on the show I've just finished doing 168 episodes straight wow. yeah. that's a lot 168 episodes, I think it is. So give I'm, give I'm the listeners, a, I suppose, a sense of what mm-hmm. an animation director does. You know, what, what's what's the role? Well, 
Let's start with the the obvious. This is where Ben's gonna gonna giggle. <laughs> animation director and a director of animation are two different jobs. Okay. Yeah, the animation director is somebody who works underneath the director on the show, and that person is responsible for how the animations actually looks and is executed. The uh, the the acting and the style of the show often goes through the animation director. That's a role that I worked uh, as for 10 years in Boulder. Okay. On shows like Foster's and El Tigre and Randy Cunningham. And then a director oversees everything in a in a show. And as a series director, which is what I was on Pinkalicious, <clears throat> I oversaw things like casting, music, uh, animatics, the edit, the final product and the final delivery of every episode. Okay. Uh, which meant that <clears throat> often... Uh, I would start, if I was to give an example of season four, I started two months before the show actually officially started, which is I read all the outlines provided by the script writers who are pitching their ideas for the next season. And then I yay or nay, I yay or nayed those in terms of whether we could do them, whether or not I thought they were good ideas or whether we'd done stuff like that before. Yeah. Because when you bring in new writers, they often... They'll look at what's been done before, but they won't invariably go through every episode that's been done before. Mm -hmm. And as series director, I worked on, as I just said, every everything bar four episodes. Yeah, I was going to say, you were and, a director very early on in that series. Yeah and, yeah, and even then, I saw those four episodes to execution. Mm -hmm. like there's uh, there there was two that had to there were there were still music issues that I had to oversee and and things like that that uh, invariably I still have to have an eye over them. Um, so you just basically as a director, it's um, I my job is to execute the idea and the vision of both the creator and the producers. Mm -hmm. to make sure that every episode meets um, my own artistic endeavor and the standard that we would like to try and produce for every for every episode oh, um, collaborative role it is um, kind of management as well then on, on, on <clears throat> that side of things yeah yeah it's um I will say pink it was probably the most the most rewarding show of all time because I very much, I wanted everybody to have their say. When I came on board, they were the show was already rolling. It was I jumped on a moving train, mm -hmm. uh, so I already knew they were going in the right direction. They just needed help in what they were doing. Uh, one of those, which I always think was a key decision that I made, was I asked a certain storyboard artist that I've worked with. For oh, who's who's that guy? to come on board because I believed that his talent would help shape the show. Really? Yeah, I know. Yeah. I'm not going to give a name. I'm not going to give a name. <laughs> um, it was Ben, obviously, everybody. It was Ben. And uh, yeah, and and then invariably, it's just about uh, one of the biggest things that I learned on this show was, was to really let go. I was very... Um, hands-on in my previous two shows yeah. in terms of almost every department and everything that I wanted mm -hmm. to, especially Nelly and Nora was, was my first, my own first show. I was very, I was the animation director on it. I was the editor on mm -hmm. it. I was the, I was sometimes I was the voice director where it was mostly Emma. Um, and a lot of times I was very much involved with every, 
facet of it. Whereas on Pinkalicious, uh, I very much learned that the best things in animation is that it's a collaborative art and be free and open to the people that are in the room. Great. You brought those people in a room for a reason. Uh, and I very much believe what Walt Disney said was 100% true. You should not be the best and most talented person in the room when you're trying to do something like that. You should be surrounded by those people. Yeah. And it was, without doubt, it was easily the most creatively rewarding five years of my life, really. Um, I, I can I can almost say the same. I, I, I was amazed going into a, a cell action show. Um <laughs> And I remember like working on selection a little before I get a script What's it? What's and it? I go, okay, yeah, it's selection is a program they animated in, um, other probably Tomb Boom Harmony, that kind of stuff. But, uh, Pinkalicious was, was set action. And I remember getting scripts, uh, on other shows that were going to be set action and they go, oh, they want this guy to turn around and then jump upside down and then go over here and turn into something else and then turn back again and go, okay, I'll, I'll draw this because this wasn't the script, but what are they really going to do? And I usually get like some kind of alternative to to what was what was sent in, but I sent in storyboards to Jamie and he approved them and I went oh okay. Um, but what are they really going to do? And then when I saw the final cartoon, I was like, wow, they they actually did it. They actually got that out of a a program that can be quite difficult to get that quality out of. I thought you guys absolutely nailed it. Yeah, I I'm quite open about it, Dave. Uh... It was a software that I did not enjoy when I first tackled it, which was in Nelly and Nora. And I became quite synonymous in a decision that I made on that show um, to to swap programs mid-production mid in order to save the production, uh, mainly because we just, we'd never worked on it before. So we learned how to, uh, basically I learned how not to use the software basically in my first show. Tackled it on Kiva and Pinkalicious was very much the show that I wanted to to conquer it with. And right. my, to be honest, the team that was surrounded me, they're absolute experts in it. Um, they just announced actually a whole tutor. They're instigating an entirely new way of learning the software. And two of the leads that worked on Pinkalicious will be your tutors. Oh, well, I'm not surprised. They're, they're two of the two of the easily two of the greatest animators I've ever worked with, but also two of the best teachers I've ever seen in animation. And uh, yeah, it was a it was a hugely huge thing to get. To, I was very happy beating the hell out of that program. I will say, <laughs> uh, I would recommend it now a hundred percent. Like you know, if you'd have met me five years ago, I would have said no. But I would recommend it now. 100% haven't worked in it for the last few years and seeing what can actually be produced. So what, what, was the, what was the path that got you there then? So, yeah. you know, let's, let's go right back. Were you, were you Ballier? Were you, or? No, it wasn't. I was Dunneary. Dunneary till I die. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Whatever. Um, yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah. And it's such a thing. <laughs> I, I, I was jet. Uh, this is it. Uh, we, we're, we're great friends to write this minute. I, I know, yeah, that's, yeah, it's that's over it. now. <laughs> uh, I was the shoe in to, 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 to go to Dunleer or to mm. Bally Fermat. In oh. fact, like, in, in all honesty, I was a classical head, Total, totally wanted to work for Disney on paper, just wanted to draw for the rest of my life and animate on paper. Um, I did want to do, I'm, I've said it before, I adore every facet of animation every style of animation and every every 
different technique in animation. So going to Dunleary was probably the best thing for me. And to be honest, I had a cousin who went there when I was probably about 14, I think I was, or probably 12. And she studied fine art. And I'm going to say it out loud. This is going to sound really bold. Uh, one of the other reasons I wanted to go there is because um, I had seen the college and I had seen... Um, the girls that would go there <laughs> and I genuinely <laughs> I genuinely was like I would like to go to an art college when I went to Ballyfermot when I was studying animation animation was 90% male in Ireland mm-hmm. something that has thankfully been totally rectified in the last few years if not the last decade uh, but when I was going to Ballyfermot it was all boys and I didn't really want to go to another all boys school and I and Dunleary was um, mixed college and I yeah. yeah ironically I wasn't single for a single uh, <laughs> art college um, yeah and um, I was quite laugh about that with the with the lads um, not that I would have been very successful I would have just been at my desk drawing every day anyway but, uh, <laughs> so I went to and now I'm just going off piste um, Please. Uh, uh, so I went to Dunleary yeah. and I studied uh, animation and film in Dunleary uh, very much wanted to be a, a 2D classical animator yeah. uh, really really just wanted to be the best animator in the world uh, and um and then in 2000 and 2003, I started with Cavalier uh, because we were going to do, a, uh, we were doing a Frameworks, which is a short film um, program in, in Ireland, which is set up to encourage new directors and yeah. new talent. Uh, Cavalier had won um, a short film project to, to work on, and they were going to do it in Flash this new software that was relatively cheap and really easy to use. And I had used Flash in my last year of college and my director, Andy Kavanagh, the owner and Mm -hmm. and CEO of Cavalier, he had seen what I had done with the software and he brought me in and we worked on that together. And, um, And then... In 2004, which uh, right at the end of 2003, there was um, a job that happened, which I always say changed animation forever. Uh, Boulder won a contract with Cartoon Network to make Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends, and the show was going to be made in Flash. And I went in October of 2003 for a job interview. And then little did I know I would spend the next 10 years of my life working in that company creating some of the greatest shows that I've ever done on TV. Yeah, Foster's is an incredible show. I mean, that's yeah, the way like, for so many things to come afterwards. I think personally, uh, and I think historically, it had it, it changed the industry. It changed mm-hmm. animation forever. It returned animation to the States. It, it meant that in America, they could make their own shows again. Uh, it also fostered the rest of the world and allowed the rest of the world to make animation on smaller budgets. Um, uh, I used to give a stat, which was in in the 10 years that I did it, in Boulder, it was something like uh, my one role was the equivalent of 30 jobs in the Philippines. You know, there was in-betweeners, there were cleanup artists, there were, you yeah. know, it's like that. So, yeah, so I went into Boulder. I spent 10 years there as an animation director. 
working on shows like Foster's and LT Grey, which I adore, and um, Randy Cunningham, and probably the big one that any younger viewers would or listeners would know would would be the world, uh, the amazing world of Gumball, which is um, just won another Emmy, I think it was uh, last yeah. week or yeah. a BAFTA. It's um, a heavyweight. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. it's an absolute juggernaut. Um, and um, yeah, and I happily worked there for a very long time. Um, and I always state that I would still be working there to this day. Uh, um, unfortunately, at the time, there were no directing roles in the studio. Mm-hmm. And I was starting to think about what I was going to do next. We, we, you know, 10 years in animation is a very long time in TV. Excuse me, and it tends to burn people out. A lot of people. I, I, I'm addicted to it now, fully, a hundred percent. It's the only way I want to work. Um, I can't even imagine working on a feature film properly. Like you know, having five years to think about a shot just baffles me. Like at times. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I, and then I got into this weird conversation with a friend of mine that I went to college with at an art exhibition. <laughs> It was the, the one of the animation art shows. Um, uh, her name is Leanne Duffy, and they had advertised for a job about a director. And I just, in random passing, just said, "What would you actually need to su- submit for that job?" And she said, "Look, I'll meet you for lunch next week, and I'll tell you." And I was like, "Nice, oh, yeah, brilliant." Brilliant. Okay, great. And I walked away and never thought anything about it. Following week came along and she rang me, do you want to meet for lunch? And I said, yeah. And I actually cycled from Boulder up to Geronimo to meet her for a sandwich and realized that she wanted me to meet with uh, Jer, the owner of Geronimo. And um, and just chat with him for a second. And I was just like, oh, brilliant. I, I'll just chat about um, about what I would need to do and then what my plan would be for the next two to three years and how I would develop and what would I build. And about 20 minutes into that conversation, I realized it may or may not have been a job interview. Let's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. nice um, give you a heads up and, there. Yeah. Are the best um, kind of job interviews though. Yeah, and about uh, before, uh, by the time I had cycled back, uh, Leanne had sent me a message and asked me, would I genuinely be interested in the role? Nice. Yeah, and then I was in total shock. And actually, weirdly, this is exactly like uh, nine years ago, actually about a week ago, nine years ago. Well, yeah, and, uh, and I didn't really I was like I'm not ready and I'm you know I I need to do this I think I need to do that and it was actually uh, Ed Smith who was the head of um, the comp department at Boulder who's now the head in he's in Windmill Lane now and uh, he took me aside we went to college together Mm -hmm. Um, so I know him 20 years he's one of my best friends and he told me I was a Fucking idiot. There you go. I'm bleeping myself. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that I was an idiot, that I that this was an opportunity I'd waited for for a very long time. Yeah. And that I'd be a fool to to talk myself out of it. And he was hundred percent right. It was the best piece of voice. He said, Everybody else will do the heavy lifting. Go and 
follow what you want to do. So with a heavy heart, yeah, and with a heavy heart, I went to Boulder and I said, look, there's a job and I think I'm going to go for it. And um, uh, Rob very kindly said uh, that he would be disappointed to see me leave, but he didn't want, he knew how ambitious I was and didn't want to hold me back. Nice. He said there wasn't that role wasn't in Boulder, yeah. for and um, so yeah, uh, nine years ago I left Boulder, and started on a crazy journey of becoming a director. And I will say that it was the best decision I've probably ever made. Awesome, you well, made for. I mean, I've worked for a bunch of directors <laughs> now, and and like uh, you're one I I keep going back to, and uh, there's there's I've been on some shows with some directors where you present an issue within an episode and uh, said, look, this is a problem. I think this is going to keep coming if, 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 if down the line if I don't do something about it. And generally the director goes, no problem. We'll work on that. We'll get that sussed by the next episode. And I remember saying it to you on, I can't remember what show it was. And you said, we know we've, we're already on top of that. You'll notice a change in, in the next two or three scripts. And I was like, well, I, mean, I know exactly what show that was. <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly what show that was. Uh, and it was an issue with the page count in the scripts. I think it was, yeah. Yeah, it was the page count in the scripts. And I had had murder with the script editor because I went, we're making a seven-minute episode and you give me a 30-page script. Mm. <laughs> yeah, madness. I, I work, um, the general rule for anybody listening is that for everybody listening, obviously, if you're interested in, in doing this, the general rule with a script is a script is a page a minute of on-screen time. In preschool, what I've learned personally myself and for what I want to create, I consider a page a minute. I don't consider a page and a half is a minute. I, mm. A page is a minute because I like to let talented people like Ben add to the script. You can't add to a script if you've got, if you already have to overboard something and I already have to take out two or three minutes in an edit of an animatic. So I like to strip it back a lot tighter in a script and leave the team play around. Yeah. I think it makes better animation. It's the way, oh, absolutely. The way Chuck Jones used to do it. If it's good enough for him, it's good enough for us. <laughs> you know, and he set the bar pretty high. Yes, he yeah. did. <laughs> yes, we did. Yes, he did. Um, yeah. But yeah, so that's what I I ended up doing then, Dave. Was, uh, basically, I, I've just spent the last nine years then directing, making uh, Nelly and Nora for RTE on a, and BBC. That was the big one, the big first one. That was 52 episodes. Uh, for Kiva, we did, I did 48 episodes for RTE. And that was picked up by Nickelodeon and has mm-hmm. gone into production on a season two, which I was very proud of. Um, and then, yeah, I started on, in 2017 on Pinka. Actually, there, I had two, two real goals on Pinka, three real goals on Pinka. Uh, one was to tackle cell action and, mm-hmm. and, and beat it. Two was to get a second series of a show while while making the show, which I very happily did. And three was to, and this is going to sound really, really shallow, but I did want to try and win an award. Yeah. Uh, I'd been, I'd been whooped. Uh, poor old Nelly and Nora had gotten whooped in everything that we went into and 
got nominated for and Kiva Kiva fell at this odd time when it was too early for certain things or too late for other mm-hmm. awards things and I, I I think whether you win an award or you don't uh, it's nice to get an acknowledgement to the to the crew to be honest because people spend two years of their lives working on something and they mm-hmm. just and I believe in the team so I, I can never understand why certain shows don't get nods and then yeah, when we won one on Pink and once we did that, then I I was quite happy to you know, we get nominated for other things. But we did I did every landmark that I had wanted to do on this show. Nice. Which was pretty was, was pretty sweet to be honest. Yeah, fair play, yeah. That's, that's yeah, a huge achievement. You know? Yeah. So now I'm just bragging. Really, no, I'm just bragging no, no, no. brag, right? Um, <laughs> brag away, brag away. Yeah. It's, uh, no, it's a great story and you know it's it's really encouraging for anybody out there who's, you know, studying or thinking of studying animation, you know, that there is a path, there is an industry that can, you know, support you in your, in your goals going forward. Yeah, hugely. And more importantly, I would say, I, I tried to underline it as we were talking. Um, I never actually thought of being a director. I never dreamt of being Really? That wasn't your goal no, Just I mean, I wanted, to be, initial... I wanted to be Chuck Jones. I, I did want to be Chuck Jones. I won't lie about that. Like eight-year-old Jamie wanted to be Chuck Jones. Well, the older Sorry, I, I asked, got... Did eight-year-old Jamie know who Chuck Jones was? Yeah, 100%. Wow. Cool. Yeah, I started t- t- trying to animate when I was seven, I think it was. Um, yeah, uh, the, well, the older I got, um, the more I got into it as an art form. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to be Glenn Keane or Andreas Deja. I wanted to be an animator that everybody went, oh my God, did, did you see the performance that Jamie did in Toy Story 4 or anything like that? I was like, oh my God, that's the goal. That was that was my 100% goal. And when I was in Boulder as an animation director, I was mm-hmm. very driven towards that. I was like, you know, we won, we won the Emmy, Annie, and the BAFTA for animation for, for Gumball. And I will say I was probably bulletproof during that period. You know, I could have been hit by a car and it wouldn't have taken me down. <laughs> so proud of the work that we did on that show. Um, but uh, yeah, once I got to direct though, best job in the universe. Yeah. Absolute best job in the universe. It's I got to watch cartoons every day and, play with talent that I can't even comprehend you know um, I've worked with some some of the it did this season on Pinka I think I worked with some of the greatest people I will I will uh, for till the day I die I will say they were the greatest and a challenging season for you as well, right? Because yeah. it was all done through COVID, right? It was all and done I, I virtually. Know you, you're, yeah. you're a social animal, so then to, yeah. to have to go through digital technology to manage a show like that, and and, and you're a director. It's not like you're sitting down to to work on something on your own. You're trying to work with people. Uh, how, how did you find that? How did you navigate that? Um, yeah, that was a that was a nightmare. I I always say I am a studio cat. Uh, I like to be around the running joke in Boulder was that you you could look up at any stage and you would see me walking around and I was like of course I'd be walking around how could you not walk past people who are doing incredible work and not want to be inspired and as a director my god you get to 
go and have conversations with people and just bounce ideas. And the thing that the person over there might have said to you two weeks ago might become the absolute backbone of the next episode, you know, or something that they say to you jokingly that they want to try and do is what you can build a whole sequence around. Um, yeah, that was incredibly difficult. Um, for the first time ever, most people like didn't hear me out loud laughing at, at, at things. And the team were quite honest, actually, at the end, when they were at the rap party, they all told me that they actively tried to get me to laugh out loud <laughs> in viewings. We used to do viewings of every episode mm -hmm. and the best thing was to hear my laugh or hear my reaction because I couldn't contain it. I would shout, oh, fuck yes. Oh my God, that's exactly what it was supposed to be. Have, has anybody seen Aoife's scene? Yeah, and things like that. And uh, I did learn new skills to kind of try and convey that and, and communicate to everybody as much as I could. I, I, I learned that trying to get a meeting with everybody as much as you can or ring people individually mm -hmm. throughout the production used to help. It was very difficult. Uh, you As a director, you're biggest enemy in animation your biggest enemy is time yeah. you never have enough time to make the thing that you want to do without a shadow of doubt uh, first lesson I try to teach whenever I'm in the colleges is that start sprinting right now you know, and the thing you want to make start sprinting right now you will kill for those extra five minutes at the end of the project then those five minutes you wasted while you were thinking you had loads of time or what mm -hmm. you kill for at the end. Um, and trying to ring everybody and get in touch with everybody and make sure that everybody was okay was a huge part of the job this time. And it's incredibly difficult. Animation is a collaborative art. Well, every animator is an introvert and an outright introvert, no matter how extrovert they are, we're all introverts. I mean, for the audience, the gang are watching, they're looking into my room right now and I'm surrounded by comic books and books. This is the cave. <laughs> Up until virtual meetings, nobody had ever been in this room. Like this is, this was the space that I would go to and this was where I was working during the weekend. When I worked from home before COVID, I never turned my webcam on. And then it just became, that had to be done. Mm -hmm. uh, you try to make sure that everybody's happy, that everybody's heard. I also always ran with a rule, which was whenever we did a review, everybody's mics had to be on. I had to hear if you liked it. I had to hear if you didn't like it. You thought it was a problem. I need to know because you're my first audience. Um, and... And then dealing with, with just making sure that everybody's okay. Yeah, it was very, diff very, very difficult. It was a lot of people told me in the industry that they love working from home now. I hate it on a, on a different scale. If you've asked me during, so we finished season two during COVID, the first pandemic, the first lockdown, yeah. we, we were finished in season two. I loved it. Thought it was great. I was getting up, but you know, I'm reading books at lunchtime and doing all of this stuff. Uh, but that was only great because I'd already built the foundation. All the animatics had already been on their way. Mm -hmm. uh, the scripts had already been d dealt with. The sound records had already been done. We were just finishing it, really. 
I, I'm watching animation and just people dealing with it. And it was kind of a novelty and everybody's kind of making, you know, we we're doing silly things. Like I would go on cam- camera wearing different costumes every Friday and things like that. Um, there anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but season two, two years of it, I will say was very, very extremely tough. Yeah. Especially for me, I, cause I like talking to everybody and I draw a lot of energy from the team. And as a, as director, you're on it. Like I was starting it. You're if I'm not doing my job right, everybody has to work late. As far as I'm concerned, so I'm finishing late, maybe eight, could be ten o'clock at night. But I'm doing that so that the team can finish at six. You know, like we had a hard rule, which was the studio was based on six o'clock. Everybody was done. And if we were doing that in-house, there was there should be no reason why we can't do it from home. Yeah. And it was very difficult because a lot of people do struggle when they're at home. Um, but I made sure that my end of things was not the bottleneck, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was tough. Yeah. There's no line about that. But you managed to do it, managed to get yeah, we managed so to animated get, in a yeah, kind we, of apocalypse, you know? Yeah, in a kind yeah. of apocalypse. Yeah, I would not recommend it. But like, look, you know, the, the, the well, I think we had it bad. You know, I, I know people that were working on, um, there's a bunny show getting made in the Ukraine and they were working and suddenly there's shells coming in. You yeah, know, yeah. it's all perspective. And, oh, yeah, man. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That's that's tough now. Yeah, we'll get to the big question in a second. But I do have two mm-hmm. questions just on the, yeah. the the world you're in, right? And they might be they might be <laughs> odd, but you know, myself and Ben certainly, and and you know, you're very very familiar with the world of comic books. But you know, comic book fandom is very vocal. <clears throat> There's yeah. outlets for it everywhere, and they tell you exactly what they think all of the time. Yeah, um, not me, right? <laughs> preschool animation fandom. Are there any channels there? I mean, do you ever get feedback uh, from the fans? Do you ever get? Uh, we do actually. Yeah, we do actually. There's um, we have. I have. Uh, I did tell the creators actually on uh, with Victoria, the creator of Pinkalicious and the main author of Pinkalicious. Um, we had our final call about a week ago just to say I will see you soon and I'll hopefully get to see her in New York in a couple of months time and, and things like that. Um, but uh, she asked me, uh, she asked me quite a sweet question, which was why did I think we, we hadn't won any of the big awards? She, Cause she's very much in the book industry. Mm-hmm. She has won tons of awards for the, for Pinkalicious and things like that. And it, for the European listeners, that the IP Pinkalicious is actually it's absolutely massive in the states. It's, it's huge. It's the equivalent of I got to work on Peanuts. Yeah, you know, like I I got to make those first shorts. Um, so <clears throat> she asked me this question about it, and I said, um, funnily, uh, you know, when I think about the awards, I I genuinely when I started the project, as I said to you jokingly, I was I was up for trying to win an award. And we got a letter quite early on, uh, soon after the first episodes had aired, from a from a parent who sent in, sent a letter to the studio 
thanking us for making a show that her daughter loved so much and that her son loved so much. And she sent the letter. It was an email and a video of her kids watching the show and singing the theme song. And I will tell you that uh, having worked on Gumball and, and Foster's and all those shows that won awards, that was better than any of those. Yeah. No. That was that was incredible. Like, and I've been lucky enough to work on a lot of shows. Nelly and Nora actually had. Um, I don't know if I ever showed you this, Ben. There was a a, a woman sent in. Uh, she was a sixty year old woman sent in a letter to us from Germany, and it was a photo of her two daughters who were in their twenties, oh, who were both called Nelly and Nora. And she said. <laughs> uh, this is the greatest TV show that I've ever been able to see. <laughs> and it was incredibly sweet. Germany, that's mad. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. it was mad. Um yeah, it's not it's not a major thing. There is you would like to believe in a couple of years' time that people will get together and talk about the show that you made. You know, that the animation fans would like because I still think about King Rollo when I was a kid and sure. And peanuts is, my God! I just that's all I draw all my life, and um, and the Snoopy cartoons were so huge in my life. Um, I but there isn't that level of fandom. The book itself, well, Pinkalicious, yeah. has a huge fandom, and yeah. uh, and I would like to believe that the show itself is building. But animation, preschool animation, doesn't get that. I will say. Um, older animation does and Western culture is starting to adopt a lot more of what would be considered anime culture. Yeah. Where the anime side of things has started to seep into, say, Steven Universe is a really, really great one for that. The fandom on that was immense. and Huge amounts. Yeah, and, and things like that. But I will tell you, because we're finished the show now, I did originally have to sign an NDA for Pinkalicious. Okay. <clears throat> back in the day, I had to, and I don't think this is going to come back to haunt me, but I do find this incredibly funny because the reason I had to sign the NDA. We got to take a break there, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the reason I had to sign it was because um, Game of Thrones, which was also being made in Belfast, had just had a script leak. Ah, uh, okay. And and PBS decided that to protect the scripts on Pink Galicious, that we better have an NDA for everybody. And I remember signing it and just howling with laughter. I was just like, could you imagine the four-year-old hacking the system to get the next episode of Pink Galicious? Like, uh, yeah. So like, somewhere yeah. I read it, you know, there's or yeah, somewhere in there. Um, I will say, you know, on other shows as well, like on Foster's, uh, I can tell you that in 2000, like before social media really became a thing, we found a lot of fanfic one day uh, based on the show. And I remember that like burning through the studio. It was an incredibly fun day because we were reading all these incredibly dark. There was dark yeah. stories. There was, this was like crazy stuff on well, the on, thing about Foster. Every single one of those characters, their origin stories must be awful. Yeah. You know? <laughs> That's it. Poor old Wilt is missing an arm. Um, yeah. So like the, the, there is that level of fandom in animation. Well, I do think, Jamie, you, you, you've you done something great with, with Pinkalicious, with those those shows for, for younger kids. And, and that will come back to you, you know, 10 years down the line when those kids start getting nostalgic for that. And they're, you know, 
I'm a, I'm a, I'm a father to a 15 year old and a 13 year old, you know, yeah. I'm sticking my arm around and going, do you remember when you used to watch Doc McStuffins, you know, yeah. as loud as I possibly can. in Because, <laughs> you know, that's what you got to do as a dad, but, but, you know, and that, that kind of later on, they're like, Oh yeah, I do remember that, you know, and, or the Mickey Mouse clubhouse, you know, mm-hmm. the, that that's it. And all um, that theme tune at them. And they're like, Oh, what is that? You know, yeah. they're, they're having flashbacks. So, so like you will, you will absolutely get, get that back to you in spades you know um when you'll see when you see the nostalgia wave come around for for those shows you know well that's it and actually like uh, you know um it's so funny uh, i think um so the, well, uh, this isn't going to be a big secret but the, the show itself i think is going to run for another couple of years there's enough episodes that we've made yeah it's actually going to be on TV or something uh, yeah. for 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 quite a while. And PBS, um, we actually uh, this again is me doing a little bit of bragging. So anybody who's listening is going to start laughing. But um, before season four was officially launched uh, in June and July, we were actually number one on the channel. Nice for viewership with our reruns number one on pbs so yeah so bigger than ken burns jazz like yeah uh, we were we we pipped sesame street sesame street for for june and july and i'll tell you i did a big bird they're out to get (laughs) yeah i did a i did a jig that day um yeah yeah, that was that was pretty spectacular like a big deal yeah yeah. we've had something like 120 million viewers on the show and things like that like it's huge yeah. uh, it's it's just uh, it's a slight oddity that it's not continuing um, uh, I think in terms of PBS normally PBS run long form like Curious George is on I think season 20 um, and wow. things like that but um, I think it's just the nature of the influence of uh, Amazon and and uh, Netflix and seasons becoming shorter. Yeah, you know it, it's become that thing where a season is twelve episodes long, not tw- twenty two episodes long, and things like that. So we've you know when I say I've done one hundred sixty eight episodes, you you know compared to what is currently being made, it's quite a, you know quite a lengthy marathon. Quite, got, yeah. yeah, you know. And then my my other question. Uh, Jamie is before before we we get to the big one is um if you could get your hands on any any IP any existing IP you you know they, to run with for a show what what do you think I'm sure you've had these thoughts oh boy and I do listen if if, yeah, you're, yeah. if you're in progress chasing something don't give it away right no 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 I, yeah yeah no but there's what's the dream people. what's the dream IP uh, this this is a great question it, unfortunately um unfortunately there's been stabs made at, at a lot of stuff I would have named as number one there uh rescue rangers was the one that I I used to say about it um about two years ago right I was like oh, give me a swing at that I'd love that I think that deserves a reboot. I think they're in the process of doing a reboot. No way. Uh, yeah, with it already. And that just made sense. Um, uh, almost everything. Uh, I think, oh God, just immediately where mm-hmm. I would go right now. Give me Battle of the Planets. Yeah. Oh, nice. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah I think uh, I, 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 I incredible teenagers. Yeah. 
Yeah. Man, yeah. You know, um, yeah, I think that, I, I think that deserves a proper like animated reboot. Um, yeah. Like, yeah. And that was the first anime I ever watched. And yeah, I think it's pretty much the first anime, you know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> and uh, yeah. So I'd probably take a swing at that in terms of, in terms of other stuff, my God, uh, I do know there's a reboot of Foster's coming, and if Boulder were to ring me in the morning, I'd probably jump on, jump on. Really, that yeah, immediately, yeah, like um, to direct, though, yeah. Um, I think, uh, I think you could probably talk me into doing Anthony on that show. Too. Oh yeah, okay. Um, they were good days. Um, but uh, in terms of oh, anything else, um. It's always a tough one. I kind there's a lot of me that wants to just keep moving forward as well. Yeah. You know, I've been I've been fairly lucky and fairly uh, you know, my last three shows were all brand new IPs in reality. Um even my last four, Randy was was totally new. Um and Gumball, actually. Yeah. The the, the only one uh, I missed out on the Danger Mouse reboot in Boulder because unfortunately that's when I was leaving. Mm-hmm. And I thought they did an incredible job on that. Yeah, great job. And and that was that was a show that I, I that would have been on my list to sure. do a, to do a reboot of. And um, uh, oh, actually, no. What am I talking about? I would do a Snoopy show in a hard hundred <laughs> percent. Nice. I could see you doing a Snoopy show. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. I would do a Snoopy show in a hard piece. But if I could really, if I if I wanted to do something totally it's so weird to be considered a preschool guy for the last nine years when in actuality I'd always wanted to make action shows like Justice League Batman TAS is the greatest cartoon of all time yeah Uh, and I genuinely wanted to make action shows and uh, I got I got to take one proper swing at that in Boulder um with Randy Cunningham, which was a ninja show. Mm-hmm. And I got to make one episode, which I consider is, is the episode that I, whenever I think about that show, I go, that's the one. El Tigre was more of a comedy action show. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, if I could, just off the top of my head, yeah. If somebody's listening and they want Battle of the Planets remade, I'll do that. I would happily redo that in the morning. Dibs. Yeah, dibs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was more Derek, I was more of a Derek than a Mark now back in the day. You know? Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. You know. It's weird. I haven't thought about that show in ages. And then there, there's two names. I'm like, oh yeah. Yeah. I'll oh. tell you the real thing I loved about Battle of the Planets. And probably Dave was the only person who'll remember this because you're way too young then. Uh were the bars. Do you remember the bars? <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I haven't thought about them in a yeah. while. Yeah. There was a purple and a brown, and yeah. the brown was awful. The purple was the greatest thing in the world. Yeah, the brown was <laughs> awful. Were they yeah. chocolate bars or something? Or legendary. Were, yeah. Uh che- no, they were like uh chewit bars. Chewy. Okay. Chewits. Right. Yeah, chewits as a bar but uh yeah battle of the planets bars yeah it was it was pretty weird merchandising for for an anime you know um <laughs> yeah it's like <laughs> yeah. I, you know years later i'd find out they were all hacked up episodes of, of gotcha yeah. man and, yeah. and they're really dubbed and that's why none of it made any sense but yeah. as a kid i was like this is the greatest thing ever like seven zark seven only existed <laughs> in in those cuts and yeah not in gotcha man you know like, <laughs> man is hardcore yeah 
that spoiler alert and okay it's a 40 year old no maybe 50 year old show now but but uh derek takes in in one episode derek as we know him over here um i don't know if he's max or whatever he's called in in, in on the anime in gatchman but he takes something like 199 bullets to the face and that's the day he finds out he's an android yeah <laughs> I was stuff like that was happening at Battle of the Planets. It would be off camera. There'd be sounds. You might yeah. see an action shot that was reused twenty times an episode. You know, and uh, and you know it might be a reaction of a character who's not wearing the thing they were wearing. A yeah. minute ago, you know. Um, but yeah, that's that. That's what you got with, with that. So so you know, good old Sandy Frank just uh, managed to sidestep <laughs> all that stuff, you know. And then the whole androgyny thing with Zoltar and his sister was it? Yeah. Was it Zoltar? Who knew? You know, and you never got an answer to that in Battle of the Planets. You did in Gatchaman. And again, well, I won't spoil it. I won't spoil it this time around. Go ahead and find it for yourself. But it's, Is that as rough a day as 150 odd bullets to the face and you find out you're an android? Yeah. That's a big day. <laughs> There's a lot going on that day. There's a really fucked up family <laughs> thing going on in that. Like, that whole family there. The bad guy's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. So look, we'll uh, we'll move things on. Yeah, I don't know the big days. <laughs> we will ask our big questions. So, you know, you're here. You're here because you know we we like to obsess about about the end of things, and um, we wanted to ask you. You know, Jamie Tan, what is your favorite apocalypse? I went really, really like foundation level. I don't know why my brain kicked in. I uh, when you first asked me that question. I genuinely was trying to come up with smart answers and things that I loved and, you know, Mad Max and all this other stuff. Oh, we've had all them. We've had all the yeah. And every time I thought of it, uh, X-Men, Age of Apocalypse, yes. punched me in the back of the head and oh, said, yes. what are you talking about? And rightly so. Yeah, rightly so. Uh, to this day, and it's not since 1995, uh, I still think it is the greatest comics event ever. Yeah, perpetrated by anybody. Managed any of the. Yeah, I, I have one specific piece of material to show that I think Dave, you'll you'll enjoy. Which I dug out dug out last night for this. Um, but uh, Age of Apocalypse from the X Men is my favorite Apocalypse. I think it's uh, for everything that it did for comics, for what it meant to me at the time, what it means to me now, mm-hmm. um, twenty years later, um. What it, what it, it instigated, and some of the ripples that came out of it, um, big ripples. But, but uh, genuinely, I, I think it's, it's that's definitely my favorite. You know, uh, I was it about it that, um, that that really recorded you. Um, what really got me. My God! Like, well, so, hang on, guys, guys, let's just okay. can we can we just slow down? Because some people, yes, yes, sorry, know what it is. Okay, so um, in, in a nutshell, and feel free to come in because it's been a while. But yeah. Age of Apocalypse is about the end of the mutants as we knew them in in the regular six one six universe, the the normal Marvel universe. Something happens, nobody knows what. It's it's kind of a mystery, and they end up as alternate versions of themselves in a world that's ruled by the 
ancient Egyptian mutant apocalypse. Yeah. Um, good guys are the bad guys and the bad guys, some of the bad guys are some of the good guys. And um, it's this terrible dystopian future where humanity has been crushed under mutant rule. terrible mutant rule. Yeah. 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 It's, yeah. They've carved up the United States between them. Oh, you know, there's a, a Mr. Sinister area. Yeah. There's the apocalypse <laughs> area. It's 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 a bad time for everybody. Yeah, uh, yeah. Homo sapiens are, um, they are banished to what's left of Europe. Um, they during the mutant human wars, France has been totally destroyed. Mm-hmm. Uh, London has become the capital of the human. Um, uh, count, that's where the human council is now, and, um. And as far as I was concerned, in in nineteen ninety five, that was the end of X Men comics as I knew them. Well, wow. this is pre internet. This is why I love this this event, and why I love I have this Dave to show you on camera. Nobody else is gonna get to see this, but maybe you post it up. Uh, this is my introduction to oh, wow, man, yeah. Insane. Yeah. When what day? What, what's the date on that? That's what's that is, like April for, for for the listeners. It's Comic World, uh, February nineteen ninety five, issue twenty six, and it is the first cover uh, from X Men. It was called X Men Alpha, which was the first title of the Age of Apocalypse. Yeah, and I picked this up in Eason's for three three pounds. Wow. Three pounds, <laughs> three pounds, yeah. And it was a comics magazine, um, that was my only way of getting any comic news. It's one of only two of these that I ever had in my life because spending three pounds on this meant I couldn't buy two issues. Yes, yeah. so I would buy issues instead of, and I would scan these. And the day I saw this cover, I was like, "What?" So, so describe the cover. So the cover is Wolverine with only one hand uh, running towards the, the, the co- um, one, running towards us uh, with a redesigned Blink, a character who had died the year before, um, Sunfire, but you didn't know it was Sunfire at yeah. the time, a total redesign of Sunfire and Bishop. It's all that's actually on here. Yeah, the real and a gambit, but you can only make out gambit. He's under yeah, the Captain America, right? <laughs> and uh, and actually, Rogue is up in a corner and things like that. It's so bad from 1995. It's not actually in the color of the the cover. Yeah, it's printed in in mostly greens. Um, but Wolverine's missing a hand. Yeah, yeah, Wolverine's missing a hand. Yeah. what the hell's gone? Has you know in, in years gone by in the last 10 years I think Wolverine he survived two nuclear blasts yeah. and in, on the cover of this he's missing a hand and I just remember seeing this and then I opened it up and it was it, it would confirm that the X-Men titles were getting cancelled this is the way Marvel pitched it to the world as a publicity stunt X-Men were getting cancelled and I was newly back in comics. I was probably reading only about two years at that stage. X-Men were the number one title. I was reading everything with an X on it was getting bought by me. Well, they, they were the biggest title <clears throat> Marvel had. Yeah. At the time. yeah. They were incredible. And they were canceling the X-Men books. What? I've only just gotten back into this. 
And uh, and then while looking through this, I was like, oh my God, what is going on? I actually have, this magazine's quite fun. Um, it has my favorite anime panels in it as well. But uh, it would then show a couple of just random images. You got from threads of the bad guys. Yeah, that's from the cover again. Yeah. Um, and you would, uh, an image of a character I didn't know at the time, which was Wild Child. Wild and, Child, uh, yeah. And uh, Apocalypse in a total new redesign. Well, it looks like um, a cross between, I don't know, Superman, Apocalypse, and... <laughs> yeah. And there was three pages. That's all that was in it. Three pages. And, uh, and my page. entire world was rocked by seeing this article. Yeah, man, I, I didn't... I, look, I wouldn't have seen that. I don't think I, I, I had any, any warning at all. All I had was the the previous months uncanny x-men saying yeah i you know and that that big light and uh yeah. a panel at the end where everything went went bright and weird and oblivious now that did that did spark a memory in me which was captain america mm-hmm. issue before secret wars a whole 10 years earlier yeah that panel happens, right? So at the very end of a, of a standalone Captain America adventure, I can't remember which, which number it is, but there was this panel where everything kind of went white. You know, it's like yeah. a bright light is, 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 is encapsulates everybody within the panel and it just, got, it just fades to white. And that was the end of that book. Nobody knew what was going on. They'd kept their mouths shut about Secret Wars Right, there was no press on it, but the opposite page. When you turn the page, right, there was an ad: Marvel yeah. Superhero Secret Wars next month. That was it. That's all you got. Yeah, and that was Cap getting taken off yeah. our world yeah. and put on Battle World. Right. So when that happened in Uncanny X Men, I was like, "Oh my God, they're doing another Secret Wars," and yeah. I was so wrong. <laughs> wow. <laughs> But that's why I love it as an event. It's like mm-hmm. you can't do it today. You, there's no way they did, they could do it today, and there's no way they could build up to it. And and like it it was uh, it was ten. It was all ten titles. I think it was. Yeah. It was yeah. Ten to do yeah. this. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. There were ten titles that for the next couple of weeks were gone. Like yeah. Uncanny was gone, yeah. uh, X Men was gone, and uh, so and they genuinely, they did. I, I, go on. So you had Alpha at the start, which set the scene, yeah. which yeah. was this huge gimmicky, oh, acetate foil. cover, <laughs> foil, yeah, foil cover. Foil I had cover. both covers yeah. because back in the day, I couldn't afford. I couldn't afford the big expensive one, yeah. which, which was all shiny and holographic, Ben. So I bought, the, they used to produce two versions and I got the cheap, the cheaper version. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I remember it took me six months to get the money together to, wow. to end up buying uh, the other one, like on top of what I was, you know, buying monthly. Uh, that was a foil wrap single issue. Oh, it was more than that, man. Was it? it? Was. Yeah. So you had a foil cover, foil cards. <laughs> this is so 90s. Yeah. yeah. Foil <laughs> cardstock <laughs> cover, right? So cardstock on the inside, foil on the outside. But mm. over, uh, wrapped around the the cover, you mm-hmm. had uh, one piece of kind of acetate, 
right? Which had all of the trade dress on it. Oh, right. It was like it was like an animation cell. Yeah. You know? So you had the, this kind of foldable kind of type, kind of thing. So so then you had on the foil part, you had the full image without any trade dress. I'm I'm yeah. right with that, aren't I? Like, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I think that's a yeah. I I didn't dig out the issues last night. I went, I'm not digging through boxes. <laughs> um but yeah, you were the they those that uh, they did the same for Omega. Which yeah, was which the final did. issue, mm-hmm. um, and then they did the same for X Men Prime, which was the first issue in which the we went back to the six one six universe, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which was a Brian Hitch cover. And, and then, I remember to the to this day, going that guy's never going to make it. He's ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we a really Brian. successful career. Yeah, yeah. well. And Brian yeah. was probably about 19 or something. Like, yeah. And like, I've like, been working for 10 years for Marvel at that stage. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, so Alpha got released. And then, and the thing was, each, it, it turned out like every issue actually, you had to pick up every issue because mm-hmm. the, the story started at Alpha and went all the way through to Omega. It, it, the, you know, each, every issue was connected. Yeah, and really well connected. Some some crossovers. I mean, the way yeah. the way they approach events now, it's very interesting. So there's a there's a there's a Spider-Man event coming up mm-hmm. now. The last issue, no spoilers for anybody or anything, but the last issue was Spidey was the lead into it, and Nick Lowe, who we all know and love, is in the in the back of the the issue. You know, putting the pitch on for the for the events. So I'm I'm definitely on board for the ride, and he's talking about well, here's what you need to pick up next. But you know, if you don't want to do that, you can go straight to this one. And, that, and I'm like, that's not the Marvel of old. <laughs> Marvel, <laughs> like you have to get forty-three issues in the every week. Month. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that's pretty much what Age of Apocalypse was. It was, I think, it was across over three months. And it was, yeah, a lot happens yeah. in a very short amount of time. Because yeah. I mean, I, I remember I read it through Essential X Men because, like, again, my local bookshop, I was only getting the, the collected editions. Yeah. And um, like, I remember getting one of the issues and going, oh my God. Like, the, it was only in one of them. I can't remember which one of it was, but they discussed what happened to all the other people from 616 and how they were affecting this world. And I was devastated, devastated when I saw Peter Parker was dead. Yeah. And, and that like, was. Whoa. There's a whole, he, I'm tuning into this to try and find out what he's doing here and now he's dead and oh, yeah. That it was, was, yeah that was the thing and it was such a I think when I think about it now as well I was like I why do I think it's such an incredible thing uh, or time marker is that at the time the only other thing that was doing well for Marvel was Spider-Man mm-hmm. and uh, and like in reality Age of Apocalypse should have been an entire line wide redo and and they did do that i think they tried to do that like in house of m and they you know yeah. they tried to do it in a couple of other things secret the latest or the last secret wars yeah but they didn't even bother with the avengers characters in this yeah and then yeah much like that when when the, you know they introduce anything that's connected to spider-man and it the your first introduction is gwen stacy so you immediately know we're in a different universe yeah and that's why peter's never actually been alive he's died several years beforehand yeah. and um a stamp the heart for yeah. any marvel fan like right? you, yeah I, mean, I was a hardcore ex-head back then i wasn't i wasn't collecting spidey but even then you know spidey is marvel and yeah you, know, you open this book up and you're like oh oh <laughs> you know it's just like yeah. What? Yeah. 
you know and also was i think it was just a picture of um, aunt may's gravestone and peter parker's grace and i think that was it i don't think there's any more you know if that was uh if there's any talk of any other avenger or someone I, I, they, was tony they, stark in london tony, or something he was in tony's in tony's in there and he's a total he's a total bollocks to be honest he's <laughs> yeah. like, there's each one of them is you know slightly twisted by the fact that they've had to go through such Mm. horribleness yeah. as like you know like it didn't pull any punches either but that's why I why I love it as an event is that it did do things that I, I you know it was free to one of my favourite things from DC is what is the Elseworlds tales mm-hmm. and when they just go off the wall and just yeah. and this was Marvel's proper first Elseworlds you know, the lose as well because the market was absolutely fucked at that stage. You know? Yeah, exactly. And that was the other thing. I always thought that was an amazing thing. Like at that stage, Marvel was in was in trouble across the board. You know, they would. I think it's the following year, right, Dave? That they they um, the the bankruptcy. They you know they would end up trying to do something similar with Heroes Reborn. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, and 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 there's a couple of major failures, and you know, uh, my comic shop. Uh, at the time, Dave wasn't even a comic shop. I didn't know Forbidden really existed until uh, after this subsidy. I'd never even stepped into. Mm. Obviously, Big Bang and John, we were the same age, so that didn't yeah, exist. This, yeah. Um, I was buying comics from a guy called Pat, who in Dave, yeah, who had set up a stall in a market, and he was selling secondhand comics. And that's where I got the majority of of these because they were cheaper and easier for me to get. But I was still buying all my issues from from Eason's. So a lot of my collection took me like another two years to get the full angle. I went went into the planet and like I I haunted that place for like every weekend, every, you know, I was just there, you know? Yeah. Start my name. They all hated me. (laughs) (laughs) And weirdly, I am married to somebody whose older sister worked there, you know, back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But Dublin's so small, man. But, but yeah, I, I was in the planet and like this alpha came out. I had to have it. Like, give me the shiny, you know? Yeah. And what the hell's happened to Wolverine's hand? And uh, I was straight back in. I read it in Stephen's Green, right? Picked it oh, up, yeah. read it in Stephen's Green, probably, probably smoked a cigarette or two, you know? Because, you yeah. know, while I was doing it back in the day, you know, don't smoke kids, but um, and uh, then uh, went straight back down to the Forbidden Planet and said, "Put, put everything, everything. I want everything. Wow. Put it on my order." You know, I had no idea how I was going to pay for it. No idea. But I was like, "Just put it all on my order." Yeah. Yeah. Well, man, that's the electric. That was the electricity of it as well. Like it was because for the listeners, there's no internet at that stage. You don't know what's going on and you don't know what's happened to everybody. And you d- they weren't giving anything away in every mm-hmm. book. It was like you would find out later Wanda did die a horrible death. Yeah. You know, um, and Jesus. they had twisted certain characters and changed. Like Iceman in it is an absolute psychopath. Yeah. Mm. Psychopath. Iceman, and, and you know, the, the his, nice guy. Yeah, his yeah, entire yeah. power set was totally changed. They had... Mm. They they went. You can do whatever you want. And now he was a lick. He was basically uh, the T one thousand from Terminator. He was just liquid ice, and he was going around 
freezing people and just smashing them. And, yeah. and uh, you know, I, I think about there's, I actually, I, I, I did go through, I have it digitally because I had to have it as well. So I could flick through it and I went yeah. through it last night That's and uh, the build up to the reveal of Wolverine yeah. in, in Wolverine's story is incredible in it. And I, and it's like, just so smart and so well put together and so for, the the, listener, for the listener Wolverine's gig in, in all of this oh well, for me okay so Wolverine is Weapon X in this he's not yeah, Wolverine yeah. anymore uh, the Wolverine that was in the book is um, he was uh, I was reading up on this as well later it's a different guy altogether um, but Wolverine in this is, is Weapon X and he uh, went in he and Jean Grey are a couple in this book in this timeline um, and Wolverine lost his hand uh, on an escape plan saving Jean from what would be essentially um, essentially like um, like Auschwitz yeah. Right. Um, yeah. They were sending. Yeah. They were sent. They were sending humans, and they were sending mutants that were deemed unfit to survive. Yeah, weak camps. mutants, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. Uh, Jean at that stage was captured, and she's sent to one of these. And Wolverine goes in. You don't see any of this. This is all flashback stuff. Which Sorry, is I'm just getting better. a recall there. It, was it a beast? Oh yeah, it turns it out beast, beast, wasn't it? Yeah, beast yeah. is beast is and yeah, yeah, he is. He is absolutely horrible in it, and like my, my favorite X Man. Yeah, and it's really prophetic, Dave, because like twenty years later, that's how he's perceived now, and he's yeah. turning turning into a villain. And um, well, in this, he's grey and he's he's yeah. much more animalistic and. and uh, really, he's a psychopath as well. It's horrible. All, yeah. It took you know the the, the original five X Men, and they just made them all evil. Scott Cyclops is is the head of the evil army, and he's a bad guy. The first time you meet him, he kills Blob, yeah. shoots Blob in the back, and and kills him. And this is the, yeah, and and uh, uh, Wolverine loses his hand saving Jean. And who is it that took his hand? It's Cyclops. And why, and why is, and Cyclops only has one eye because yeah. Wolverine took one of his eyes and that's why he's called Cyclops. And it's just, just the, the, the pushing of those, those familiar areas in the, in the, well, the, the commitment to Wolverine as a tragic anti-hero. Yeah. Like, you know, he always wanted Jean, so mm -hmm. the only way he was ever going to get her was in this hellscape. You yeah. know, <laughs> it's like yeah. And there's actually, you know, I think it's in the third issue. He's questioning whether or not she ever wants to be with him, and yeah. he's like, uh, "Is she only with me because I saved her, and she's taking pity on me?" And he becomes this really uh, all that internal stuff Scott has when he's with Jean is all in Wolverine's head, and Scott is this long-haired, yeah. Yeah. Oh, he was now <laughs> romancing Jean Grey, and it's just the wonderful swap of the two of them. I mean, that, uh, that haircut is up there with you know prime Richard Marks back in the day. <laughs> oh yeah, like he, and and he looks amazing. It, like, and they build him up as this r really great kind of. He starts kind of rebelling a slight bit against Apocalypse, even though he was Apocalypse's right hand, and yeah. mm -hmm. um and. Uh, yeah, just that those flips on those characters, and yeah, Iceman's my was my favorite at the time, and and seeing him yeah. go full alpha level, 
mm-hmm. um, like mutant, but also be absolutely terrifying. Yeah. Um, and every one of them. And for the first time in that I'd ever read the character, Bishop made sense. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Bishop yeah, yeah. is the, the character out of time. He's the guy that he's the only person who remembers the way the world is supposed to be yeah. because he's he's already time displaced. I thought that was a genius way to work that character. Um and like and then on top of it, right, because we're we're desperately making this as long as I told you it end up being uh, Joe Mad, I'm not even gonna attempt his surname because I'm sure Stephen Mooney's gonna be listening to this waiting for me to say it wrong. Joe, Joe, Joe Mad. Yeah. Right. Joe, Joe Mad at the time is untouchable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think, I think he, I'm going to say it out loud. I think he surpasses Jim Lee as in X Men at this time. I think during that period, he becomes, for me, he becomes my favorite X-Men artist of all time. Jamie, just hold it there. We've got a special surprise with Jim. If you (laughs) (laughs) And I'll say it to his face. Um, But uh, yeah, for me at that time, Mm -hmm. Joe Mad, Joe Mad is what brought me back into comics. If I'm being really honest, like really back into comics, I could not get over this artist. He's absolutely amazing. I can. Yeah, he's fantastic. He does a run on the X Men that I think does surpass artistically. I feel it surpasses. Jim Lee uh, because he does one or two things that I think Jim even though Jim is a god or whatever way you want to phrase it but uh, I think Age of Apocalypse highlights something that Joe Mad can bring to the table which is his design and he's mm-hmm. the one that redesigns the entire litany of characters yeah. and he introduces the almost medieval style which I didn't realize until last night when I was re-looking at some of this that's that that's why he ends up doing battle chasers later mm-hmm. you can see how much influences battle chasers and genuinely his four issues of Astonishing X-Men I just think are the peak of 90s comics yeah they're, they're dark and it's so kinetic his design is untouchable and he has a lovely yeah. squash and stretch that, and yeah he's got that anime style yeah and it's weird when you read back on it because i thought he did more issues than he did um because obviously they brought in uh roger cruz and they brought in uh salvador la Roca, yeah and the editors made them draw like joe mad and, yeah. and you can see why because it was the flagship title and he was mm-hmm. absolutely killing it um but he is just, excuse me, he is just untouchable in this run. I think a genius move, <clears throat> there were a lot of genius moves with the arc, but like the dynamism that Joe Mad brings to anything he does. Now, yeah. you know, it's always moving. There's always motion in the picture. There's always mm-hmm. motion. And then he does something like designs, redesigns Victor Creed, Sabretooth. Yeah. The way he does, like uh, more or less as a hero, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's true. With a man on a chain, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with Wild Child, you know, yeah. as his dog, and it that, that was insane, you know. But it uh, well, the one that I always uh, the the design I always look to as as like why how to prove whether and if you need proof of how great he is is the Blink redesign. Yeah, a character that was you know like her name is Blink in the original 
time she turns up, she was there to die in the Gen X generation next storyline. She was there to die. And he took that character and everybody adores that character because of what he did in those in those four issues. And kept a tragic vibe with her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she and made her the hero of it all. Yeah. yeah. And her person and for me, I, I was like, oh, he, he made she's uh Sabretooth's Jubilee. Yeah. And makes her a far better Jubilee and actually proves why Wolverine should have a sidekick in the tragic backstory. They make Victor Creed an actual hero throughout the whole thing. And Wolverine is the darker side of all of that thing. Um, just genuinely, whenever I look at her design, I'm like, the, in one drawing, he create. there's like three or four titles off of the back of that one character. Yeah. Now, you know, the, the one drawing created that and that's how good his art was at that stage and almost every redesign and every every element that he brought into us you know you can see it throughout it I think the Kuberts the both brothers were on absolute fire mm-hmm. throughout that I think the, the Weapon X run the very first issue was just incredible marine storytelling and the amazing X-Men is just like they were allowed to go dark like when you're allowed to go dark, things like like Banshee having to, they all have to, they end up killing characters throughout the story. Yeah. There's no, oh, we're going, you know, in 90 superhero comics, there nobody died. Nobody killed each other. There was, you know, you couldn't have a character die because you wouldn't have needed them 10 issues down the line. No, if they needed to kill somebody in that moment, they were dying. Yeah. You know? Or a hero was dying. You know, Banshee dies in this incredibly heroic manner in which he thinks he's taken down Abyss, flies into him and they explode. And then two issues later, Abyss is perfectly fine. Yeah. yeah. Realised that Sean has killed himself for nothing. Yeah. Oh, and um, yeah. And it was just, I just, you know, it, it, there were little things as well. Like, I think um, Nightcrawler's appearance. No, <laughs> well, yeah. I yeah, forgot about that. He's terrible. Oh, so badass. They did like, just brilliant. Yeah. You know, I feel like I'm another killing people. He he kills Deadpool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like he Deadpool. kills the unkillable. You know, basically. Yeah. You know, he yeah. he um He's, he yeah. bamps holding his head and bamps his yeah. head off. Yeah. 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 Well, I thought we were going dark. You know, <laughs> that's it. And and there was just design elements and things like Kitty. I was I I think if if I was to recommend two storylines for him mm-hmm. to, to read uh, outright just from an artistic point of view is obviously Astonishing X-Men is the Joe Mad run but uh, I think if you can get to read it and this is the one I, I was waiting to talk to you about Dave because I think this is an incredible story which is the Generation Next four issues I think Chris Bacala, uh his art at that stage is still in the experimental form. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's he's just come off a Gen X, a Gen X, uh, and he's just told you can draw whatever you like. Yeah, you've got four issues. You can do. You can push this any way you want. And if anybody wants to learn how to draw, and draw crazy, you should read those four issues. They're every one of them is a work of art. Like absolutely stunning. He's still got and it. He's incredible. Yeah. But like in this, in these four issues he just has the freedom to do whatever he wants. So he goes to town on this entire technique that he doesn't even do normally. And on top of that, the Gen X story is the darkest one of the lot. Yeah. Like 
they go dark on the other stories. But for anybody who doesn't know, Gen X is the young X-Men. The new, new mutants. New mutants. Yeah. And, uh, and at the time, they were relatively new. I mean, I mean, I think they were only like six issues in. or They were new, but they were pretty hot. They were, they were, they yeah. were fairly well received. <laughs> You know, yeah, uh, yeah, and and then they took these four issues, and by the end, of, uh, spoiler alert, uh, basically they have to go into again, they have to go into a camp and save uh, Colossus's sister who's been yeah. captured, and in the process of going oh, in to God, save yeah. her, all of his students, the young X Men, all die. Yeah, and he's standing at a door at the very last issue and holding the door closed like a like Game of Thrones and he's got his sister in his arms knowing he's left all of his students to die yeah and it's just incredible and on top of that Kitty Pride is basically Logan yeah <laughs> she's running around with claws smoking a cigar she's you know they've really leaned into her becoming Wolverine in it and um, just magnificent storytelling like stuff that you just weren't expecting because they they didn't have to end on a high because they mm-hmm. were going to just reset anyway yeah so you could get your empire strikes back ending in some of these books and yeah you know certain characters didn't make it and and people that you you as you said the people that you loved like peter parker weren't there yeah and and that for me is why i think it's genuinely uh, I've seen them try to do it a couple of times they did Age of I think it's called Age of X yeah um, a couple of years ago and I kind of tried to bring me back into the X-Men because I've because uh, I've kind of left them alone for quite a long time and um, um, and a lot of the big events that happen now in comics I just don't think it has the same electricity or uh, while it's a gimmick mm-hmm. it was I think it's the best executed gimmick that they've ever done. Oh, Do you think it maybe had that feeling because it, there was no internet, so there was a, a mystery I, about oh, it? Oh yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. I think the inter- I, I think social media is definitely one of the major, you know, one of the major fallouts of that. Like, I, I look. There's other events. I still think. I think Hickman's Secret Wars is possibly my favorite mm-hmm. uh, overall. Mm crossover of all time really uh, mainly because as an older reader I think it, it has a love letter to Fantastic Four but also just execution it's incredible yeah yeah. Um, but as the thing that probably kicked me off as a comic book collector I think Age of Apocalypse is what did it because I ended up having to I ended up having to get issues when I went to Florida at the age of 16 you know my dad drove me to a comic shop and that's where I got Excalibur yeah I couldn't get it in Dublin I couldn't yeah, find yeah. it in Dublin and I found it in 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 Florida and you know I found stuff like X-Men Chronicles which is like one of the side stories oh, which was where, yeah which was the one that told you some of the you know what was happening in the rest of the world I found that in a news agent's in Florida like yeah. you're going to see me that day I was skipping yeah. around the place and like you know those are the mad things like you know as a collector that's that that really stuck in my head and it was something that uh, as you said Dave you know from the very first issue I, re- I really wanted to get the whole thing as a story I wanted to make you know see because it was so well connected as well 
you know, the things that were happening in Amazing X-Men did lead into Astonishing and then did lead into Weapon X. And, so tight. Know, yeah. 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 And I think it should be said that this was all done without, without the impresario of the X-Men. So without Chris Claremont. Yeah. You know? Yeah. He didn't That's write it. one word for for Age of Apocalypse, as far as I know. Like it was, it was yeah. Scott Lobdell, yeah, Mark Wade, um, uh, Fabian, Fabian Nicaesa, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was never going to say. Uh, that. <laughs> I just, I just mumbled through it. Uh, you know, those guys. I think, I think that was that was the brain trust there on it. You know, and yeah, you know. Chris Claremont had been an uh, absolute legend, and uh, you know had been had been uh, you know banging away on the at the X Men for I, I don't know how many years before you know before he got to take a break for a couple of months. Yeah, and then he's back, you know, straight straight after. But but um, uh, yeah, it was it was you know it, it came at a time I suppose when things were very strange in Marvel. And I suppose they had a huge opportunity to experiment. Yeah. I, during, during the 90s in that period, Dave, I think there was some really brilliant stuff that they were allowed to do and things that 100% they can't do now. Yeah, I can't see them because they're so brand safe now. I just can't yeah. see them doing it. But can you imagine them killing off Peter Parker now? Well, that's it. It's things yeah. like... But he'd have to come back to life by the end of that issue. But they'd have another Peter Parker from Under Spider Verse, you know, instead. And it's, yeah. You know, like redesign the entire line and keep that secret for so long. You know, actually lean into doing like three months of this. We're going to actually 100% go for this. Like, billion dollar properties now. Yeah. And look, there's producers and film producers involved now and so much as I, re- I remember the fallout of you know the first X-Men movie but during those 90s you know obviously they would try Heroes Reborn I think the following year um, we also got during that period we got you know JLA versus the Avengers you know at that time Marvel were freer to try yeah. some of the stuff that yeah. would eventually become some of their greatest stories greatest legacies yeah no, I mean nothing yeah. nothing to <laughs> Because they'd lost it all at that stage. Or yeah. they looking at you know, it all at that stage. And yeah. like, look, at this stage, right, this is happening in this. And the flip side is the Spidey fan in me is in the midst of a clone. Saga. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and right. I will tell you right now, Dave, I love every single issue of that story. Yeah. You have told me many times that you love it. <laughs> I will, Sorry. I will and fight I, anybody who comes on and tells me that it was terrible. I respond the same way I always do. Which yeah. is, it was rubbish. <laughs> but like that I was very much like oh my god they're taking everything that I knew no yeah and as I said I I was only newly back into comics uh, and the other thing the, the, probably the other major highlight in this is that I didn't read comics with anybody else I didn't have a collection of friends none of my mates read like comics. a lot of old comic book fans yeah right uh, it's it's so weird when you talk to certain people they go oh yeah I was you know I'm swapping issues with when I was 15 I was swapping issues with other people I'm like you, oh, you weren't getting regular beatings for this hobby yeah, <laughs> yeah you know um, so like this was the thing that I was very much hunting down on your own yeah, yeah. Experiencing on your own, and then it's years later that you would meet somebody else, and you would genuinely get just, yeah. You find that they've experienced the story it. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's why, like, it was quite fun to go back through the issues last night and just like oh, I remember the, the this bit, the revelation of this. Like, um, 
you know, and just in some ways looking at re-looking at the art and, and re-appreciating it, just seeing how good some of the guys were. Yeah. You know, Terry Dodson's after doing some of the fill-in issues in there and he's, you know, he's sneaking his artwork in there and yeah. Epting is in there doing Factor X and I'm like, years later, uh, you know, he would do a 50-issue Captain America run that was just you know, revolutionize yep. a, a whole section of Marvel in terms of like dark, you know, like gritty film noir comics or, or, or spy comics. I certainly um, influenced Winter Soldier, I think. And, mm-hmm. you know, just some of the themes of the movies as well. Like, yeah. book, like his first run on, on couch, just amazing. You know, it's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And, um, and these are all people that were doing these books and, and like that, Again, it was it didn't hold back. Uh, they weren't afraid to go dark. They knew their audience were were younger. Like let's be honest, in the nineties, they weren't making mature comics. It wouldn't be until Wildstorm would start doing that that they would outright start going, "Okay, well let's let's do titles, yeah. battles." Yeah, they were they were doing funny books for eight year olds, and in this, like people were getting heads chopped off and going for it and going going all in yeah 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 no wonder we are the way we are yeah probably yeah (laughs) Um, but yeah that's and that would be yeah whenever I think every time you said apocalypse to me I just was like that that like they they did a world map at the back of two issues and it's an incredible fun thing to look at because like they you know half of Brazil has been demolished yeah yeah. like uh that's why the oxygen level in the in on the planet is lower and the mutants are surviving better because they're adapting and uh, france is being destroyed africa is uh, like a radiation zone the sentinels were were built in uh, as a defense mechanism they were saving people weren't they yeah they're they're there to save humans and um and there to and everything that you think you know from before has been redesigned. Like even the Sentinels look everything. I I think they look ten times better than what they've always looked like. They're pretty cool, and, it? yeah. And you know, and just little things mm. like just a, the every every mutant has a tattoo. You know, just a little signifier, and that all goes back to Bishop. You know, the M on the the tattooed M on the face, and and yeah, it was yeah. Genuinely, I don't think they'll. I don't think it'll be ever possible to recreate that mm-hmm. level, that level of um, just mystery around yeah. the comic yeah. event. Yeah, you mystery know? and ingenuity, and yeah, you're right. You know what? I'd 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 give up all of social media if we went back to back to that events like that. Yeah, yeah. If we could pull those things off, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well. Insane, you know. I mean, these days we 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 have to know absolutely everything about them well, before we go see it or in well, the trailer. I, you know. I think I, you know what is it? Marvel on their last three, and then this is me doing a little bit of Marvel bashing. Well, I think on their last three major either event or storyline mm-hmm. day of release, before I'd even made it to the comic shop, they had released the image or the story point or the, you know, the the spoiler had been released officially by Marvel. Yeah. You know, and you're like, I haven't even gotten to buy this book. Like when we talk about this, you know, of a time when the death of Superman came polybagged, 
you know, yeah. like you didn't see what was inside it. You had to buy it to read it. Um, and nowadays it's like, you know, there's the fan won't. I, I, I think there's two types of fans now. And now I'm just going to rant. Uh, there's two there types of fans. There are the fans who follow things on social media, who yeah. like to talk about things, but do not buy things. And there are the fans who buy things who don't want to hear about what, what it is. Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, empty vessels make most noise. Yes, they do. Um, yeah. So they, that's why, I, you know, I, I, uh, I think I'll, I say it as an old man, several people have tried to show me how you can, you know, mute certain things on. Ah, mute. Yeah. But I, you know, I've, I've shifted away from things like Twitter and, and, you know, relative social media. Yeah, and now, uh, now I am just, we are cutting all this bit, right? <laughs> but, uh, but no, I'll just go back to what we were talking about. Um, yeah, I do think, unfortunately, it would take something spectacular for Marvel or DC, you know, or uh, any of the big. But it's a huge um, opportunity for some someone else as well, you know, to, to look yeah, at that model. To figure that one out. Some of the less well-known well or, 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 you know, I don't know if you could do it with, with, with mm. less well-known characters because you do need that step change, that kind of shift yeah. in, in reality, you know, and you, I suppose you have to be... Um, they have in, I guess. household yeah. names to, for the for the shocker to work, you know. Uh, yeah, I I think I would I would agree with you there as well. I you know the X Men have very much shifted away from the power that they were at this point in time. Yeah. Um, I don't entirely know what you would consider as the the number one book anymore. Like the the only one, the only evergreen, you know, no top of the list is is Batman. Yeah, even even Spidey has suffered at, at times. Um, and they've countlessly tried, you know, like they they tried to do uh, Sinister Spider-Man and keep that mm-hmm. secret. And then that blew up straight almost immediately. I knew what was going on there before those issues came out. You yeah. know, and, um, it would be quite an endeavor to try and get something at, at that level again. Yeah. You know, and just 100% go, right, we're going to lean into it as well. Just I like think that's the other of creators on it as well. I mean, yeah. a huge yeah. number of people. Serious talent. The top of their game. So if you look at, if you look at event events now, it's like four guys, you know, there, yeah. might, there might be four creators on, across the, the whole event, you know, in terms of driving it, you know, <laughs> yeah. Whereas, yeah. you know, you had the, the, the writer's brain trust, you had the artist's brain trust, you yeah. had, you know, people who designed the cities, redesigned and then another team would redesign the characters and you know so you had all that going on as well it was run like a nearly like a motion picture in in development you know i'm sure for much less money (laughs) because yes comics you know well the other thing that amazed me dave is the consistency having gone back to it as well the consistency there is two titles where the artist kind of there is a flip-flop of an artist or terry dobson has has come in and helped in. But keep it on time, I'm sure. You know, if you think about it in today's world, and I this is obviously the constraints of the modern comic mm-hmm. which has to go into them uh, and what schedules are like, but almost every one of those titles is the one artist, yeah. one ink and one colorist yeah. for every issue. Yeah. And then while it's it sounds like it's a small feat for a four issue arc, in today's schedule, you have to remember that 
those were the same artists that were on the book before the event yeah. and after the event. And they didn't, they didn't get any extra time. They didn't get a break. They, it was the they, same. Yeah, they yeah. didn't get specially brought in. And how and many most, of them were on other books as well? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm sure you'll it, find yeah. Salvador Larocca on another book at the same time. Yeah. And, and the, you know, <clears throat> that's it. And, yeah. and, you know, I, I think that's also a major feat because I remember quite sobering uh, several events in the last while where you get to like the last issue and it's a different artist or, you know, ha- the, the, the art artist that opens the event is not, he does the first issue and he does the fifth issue and then in between there's somebody else. Yeah. You know, um, bit of that going on Spider-Man at the moment. I'm not sure I'm on board with it now, but it is I, on yeah. So, you know. It, 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 it's funny also on that, just, just before we move away from <laughs> what that event had going for it there, like, like it, it is one of those massive events where every title across that event like hit that hit that perfect ten, you know. Yeah, like they were they all managed it. Like, like what Dave is saying there, it's not just that there's loads of talent. All these talent were at their peak best, you know. Oh, yeah. That doesn't happen often. And usually you have these big events where there's the main title. The main title is really good, but then there's usually like one or two offsets of that that are just fucking outstanding, you know. Yeah. Uh, but in this particular one, they all are outstanding. Yeah. Ultimately, the '90s were great. You know, better music, <laughs> better comics, <laughs> better, definitely better comics. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Batman it was a good time. Batman animated series was on TV. Batman animated series on TV. You know, um, we were we were young. We were full of energy, and well, maybe not full of energy, but you know, we were certainly young. Um, I would say that based on what you hear about page rates. There was yeah. probably more of an impetus to work harder back then than you know what's in the market yeah. today as well. So, you know, well, there would have been yeah, yeah, there is there is that as well. And and look, you know, we all know, it, it, we know people that are working for these companies and the level of detail now that's considered yeah. a basic Standard. Yeah. comic yeah. format yeah. now compared to the nineties, um, but and you know. I do think artistically, some of them may, but I may have been more simple. But I actually think if you read the majority of those titles during Age of Apocalypse, you will see things like like Generation Next. There is an amount of artistry in there that is untouchable by today's standard. Yeah. Um, I do think Astonishing X Men, Joe Mattis is absolutely like I don't think there's a single line he put down that in in his first attempt that did not make it into that book. He's on an absolute fire. Uh, and the Cuberts as well, they're just, they're machines at that point. Yeah. And no, still are. Like, yeah. Still you know, like, yeah, yeah. 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 You know. Um, my, my one fly in the ointment, because not everything is, go. is, okay. <laughs> but my, I don't know if you guys are going to, are going to get there before me, but my one fly in the ointment is bloody X-Man. Right? Here we go. It's always going to be X Man. I shot a dead end of a character. Like, just why? Oh, is he able? Well, he's not really. He's you know considered you know on. He's on the same level as him, but he's not quite. And he's yeah. It's just that you know. To be honest with you, the whole cable thing, I could leave. I could you know just just take or leave. It just doesn't really well, do. It- but and but then they do this X Man thing, and it's like yeah, he's he's down with the kids, and it's just. <laughs> 
No. Yeah, the, the X-Man's a real oddity for me as well. I never understood why X-Man is the only title to survive out of Age of Apocalypse. Yeah. He gets his own title and he gets brought into the 616 universe. Um, it was an interesting question about, like, Cable is so, you know, haggard and, and old, uh, he's old and he's he like a gun, gunslinger and he's a yeah. soldier. Mm-hmm. And what would he have been like if, if he did? If he was Eddie Vedder. Yeah. Yeah. Right? <laughs> um, but I think the real, the, you know, it's a real mad story because really, if you're a fan of Cable, you want to see Cable as a character that didn't get shot off to the future, yeah. didn't get infected with the oak, but was the son of Gene Gray and and, and Scott oh, Summers. Yeah. yeah, you don't want to see this random clone who I'm pretty sure ends up sleeping with the clone of his mother yeah. in the six one six universe yeah. in this incredibly weird story, yeah. um, and. I like it as a, like, it, it hinted towards the Cable thing a lot more because obviously Cable was, you know, it turned out he was genetically there to take over. From, it, it all becomes very convoluted for anybody who reads X-Men. You can explain to anybody else who's listening to this right now that it it, it all fizzles out in the end, really, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, I'll subscribe, you know. But, yeah, because he was he was I I kind of like Cable because he's like the most extreme version of what Scott's son could be. Yeah, um, and I like the some of the stuff that was brought in during the nineties, where it turns out you know he's there's different timeline versions of him, and he's been yeah. slipping in and out of things. But X Man is, yeah, I wouldn't disagree. I do love. I'm not even gonna take a swing at, at his name. The artist on it book, uh, Steve's art work on it who would go on to do the storyboards for the matrix i adore his artwork and he worked on spider-man steve it's s-k-r-o-c-e right oh yeah steve scrooge there you go yeah again Stephen mooney's listening to this laughing his his head (laughs) off the last time i said his name and uh, i love his artwork yeah but the character itself is 100 i would agree it was But again, it suffers from the fact that one cable was a book at the time. So if and you're going to do that, yeah, and you had to do the X, the Apocalypse version of them. And then they introduced, there's some mad stuff in it. Like um, Forge is almost fully cybernetic at that point. Yeah. You know, um, he's going around with a band of uh, outcasts. They're called the outcasts. Okay. The yeah. It's like Toad. Uh, Siren is now called um, Sonic. Weirdly, I still don't understand why they changed her name in it. Um, and little things like that, where I'm like, they, yeah, it was kind of they had to do X Man in there. Never understood how he survived or why they brought him through. I don't know. Um, maybe, like maybe we're not seeing we're not seeing it for what it was. Like I I think Cable being interdimensional being time traveler or being, you know maybe he could have been a way out you know as x-man was i suppose but but if you had if you had cable in the mix like cable as we knew him then um he might have just been too too much of an easy card to play you know yeah yeah and i suppose they did you know like they i thought you were going to go the other way which is i still think how 
Magneto kills Apocalypse at the end is is probably yeah. softest ending. Yeah, to a bit easy. On. Yeah, very easy. Yeah. Um, and because uh, there's a bit of a flip there, because it's essentially like, you know, uh, this was what he wasn't able to do initially. Apocalypse was this guy killing off weaker guys, and now essentially he's the weaker guy. It's a bit. Yeah, yeah, and I, I just was like, oh, oh, they just had to end it. Mm. Yeah, we have a hard day. We have to do it by this point. But but a lot does happen that last issue. You really do feel like they had to get this done now. This was it, you know. Yeah, yeah, and like at the time as well. You know, years later, I loved the fact that it was a done and one. You know, Mm -hmm. it wasn't a multiversal thing. You know, like at the time, you know, they do end up going back to it. There's there's other stories when they. You know, there was other follow up issues that I I'd never thought was very successful because I in storytelling I I always think it's better to leave the audience try to figure things out or you know in, in something like this they should just leave it alone. But nothing, nothing ever 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 yeah. left alone in comics. Ever. Yeah, exactly. But Rick Remender did make a really great. It, he really he really picked up on a lot of stuff that was really great about it and was really cool about it and when he dealt with those characters in the uh, Uncanny X-Force book when he brought in Iceman and he brought in Nightcrawler yeah. um, and he showed their extreme violence and their extreme nature compared to the characters that we knew that was excellent and you know uh, I did think oh there was you know this was Excuse me, comics done right. Yeah, let's mm-hmm. go for that. Yeah, you no, know, yeah, um, but yeah, I'm I'm quite happy that they leave it alone. Like you know, yeah. I, I don't want to know. But then, obviously, reading up on it today, I discovered that now they did fold it into the universe and, and all of that stuff. I think it loses its weight then. Yeah, you know, as as an event, it's like you know the the wonderful thing about the X Men was that it used to do things like alternate timelines. But you, you know, there was real stakes because you had yeah. to go back and change the time. So things like Days of Future Past, which was Claremont's, you know, incredible story with Wolverine and the X Men involving killed off and stuff, uh, and you know, it felt like it was still that kind of brevity to the story. Well, every they, every couple you know, of years they kill off the cast, you know. So yeah. you know, you had Days of Future Past, they're all dead at the start. You know? Yeah, Fall of the Mutants. They're all dead at the end, you know. Um, yeah. It's and then you get into then you get into into Age of Apocalypse, you know, where you know everyone's dead. Um, yeah. So yeah, and this is how they die, you know. Um, so it is it is a really I don't think it, I don't think it, you'd even call it a formula. It's not it's not formulaic the way they do it, but they do love killing off the cast, you know. And it's comics, so it's kind. Of, it is comics, and it, it you know, and I I do look at things that you know in in different formats. Uh, I think the Injustice universe in the DC side of things, you know, has echoes of this very much. You know, like Dark Superman. Every little everybody loves seeing their hero kind of go dark, and what would happen if they went, you know, full fully off the leash and stuff Massively like that. Massively successful mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, like, they, there's a reason for that, like, and, and I do think that's why this was so lauded, and it is so loved as well, you know. Um, I think they've done two reprints of this so far. They'll probably continue to do those. Um, but as I said, it's the, the younger audience members for the podcast, to, uh, it's very difficult to recreate the buzz and the absolute 
unknown mystery. Well, it, it was hard to read that book and not get scared that this was the way the X-Men were going to be for oh, the yeah. next years. Like, yeah. you know, you know, it wasn't until I think it's the third issue of, of Astonishing that there's even a hint that this is going to conclude for the normal reader like for me as a 14 yeah, I, I, it's just I gotta tell you, my, my my heart rate went went back to normal then you know or, or closer yeah. to normal because you know as much as i enjoyed it i was back then certainly i was that kid who who didn't want anything to change you know who was happy with the status quo and then like everything the fucking planet changed everything changed yeah. you know and uh here we were you know in in new territory and while it was super exciting it was like okay well, when's it gonna go back when's it gonna go back when's it gonna go back and also the fantastic four were dead you know so yeah there was yeah. <laughs> so, ben Grimm was still around right but he ben, didn't go yeah, into ben, space or something ben, yeah, yeah, ben, yeah. ben and sue are, are still around yeah they're they're kind of like super spies and yeah, um, yeah that's what, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah there's um but that was all the stuff that I love. You know, I I did love all that stuff. Like you, you just a hundred percent. You don't learn what where those characters are until maybe two months into it. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's I just think, a small a small kind of uh, vignette. Not to yeah, hundred yeah, percent. Yeah. Just a couple of panels, and yeah. then suddenly you're like, oh my god, there's all you know finding out. Yeah, it was uh, Reed and Johnny died. Yeah, in the in the evacuation of Manhattan yeah. and it's, you know, and it you know, changes you, the world. Then. If, if you're going to have an event like age of apocalypse, you have to get rid of the smartest man in the world. You have to, he'd figure yeah. it out. He would figure out we're not meant to be here. This isn't meant to be like this, you know, but he would. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, and, and, uh, and as I said at the start as well, the X-Men were unstoppable as a book at that point. Like the Fantastic Four would go through a reboot in two years' time. The Avengers would go, they'd go through a reboot in a year's time and then in another year's time. Like they, the beginning of what would become norm at Marvel would start in the next little bit. But at this stage, like nobody was really reading those titles. They were, mm-hmm. like, they were over there. This was new and exciting. And then to find out, yeah, like Peter's dead, Reed is dead. Captain America doesn't exist. Yeah, all like doesn't exist at all. Nobody's even thinking about that guy. Yeah, no um, soldier serum. Yeah, and it's just, yeah, just fantastic. Like just really, yeah. uh, and, and just seeing, you know, twisting little things like. He, there was a common thread through the books at the time when Rogue is kind of flirting with with Magneto when he was part of the team and then he's left. Yeah, and in this book they're married and yeah. she's kind of flirting, kid. Ga- gambit off on the side yeah. to a degree. And, I mean, what you know, guy? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, I've had it explained to me that Gambit was was the glue that 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 kept X Men fans together. You know. And it goes back to it goes back. Who to, is telling you that? No, this the, it goes back to the anime <laughs> series, right? I, I fucking hate Gambit, right? I'm sorry, I just do. I don't take him seriously. <laughs> he throws shit great, you know, and he's Cajun, even better, right? But no offense, Cajuns, but he's like he's just you know over the top, and that suit. But anyway. It, yeah, the metal boots is what got me it was, every stage. Uh, up to the knee. Like it was explained to me, right? That Gambit and Rogue, that love story in the animated series, mm-hmm. yeah, brought in 
so many new fans to X-Men and so many female fans to X-Men as well, you know? And, you know, I would, I, you know, personally, I would have fast forwarded through that stuff as a kid, you know, I would have been like, yeah. yeah, whatever, emotionally, you know, but, but it's, it's, you know, it's the reason why a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of women, a lot of, lots of people got, got into X-Men as well, you know, cause yeah. they, they follow this story. They love this, this, this tragic love story that, that existed, you know, um, I know a couple of Marvel editors who got into comics because of the anime, wow. specifically because of um, the rogue Gambit relationship back in the day, you know? So wow. Gambit, you know, we thank you for your service. <laughs> he wouldn't be on my roster, you know? He's not on your roster. Oh, my ro- I mean, that's like issue one for the shock death at the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs> say that, but I bought, I bought I bought every issue of that first volume of his book again because Steve Scrock. Yeah, wrote, that guy. Yeah, yeah he did the yeah. he did the art. Yeah, and um, I apologize, Steve, for brutalizing your name. Uh, but um, I like that's the thing as well. I think, oh my God, I'm just going to pull up right back to Age of Apocalypse. Rogue was becoming a major character at this point, mm-hmm. and this is the book. I firmly believe they went, she can be a leader and she can be a hero and she yeah. can be everything we want her to be. She's basically superwoman in this book. Oh yeah. yeah. And it, up until this, she was just the eye candy and she was the love interest for Gambit in the Jim Lee books. And I, Well, I think yeah. prior to Gambit, right? Rogue was really super interesting, right? She was, yeah. you know, so my first introduction to Rogue was in Secret Wars, and she was a mess. She was a mm-hmm. she was an ex villain, you know. And she, her internal monologue in Secret Wars and the original Secret Wars is, "Why am I on the hero side? What am I doing here? Sure, I haven't I been a, a bad person all these years, you know." And um, she was just second guessing herself the whole time, you know. And that's brilliant because, you know, imposter syndrome hits everybody. Yeah. And she's a study of imposter syndrome, you know, in, in, in this book. It's it's fantastic, you know. And I think I think she was kind of shortchanged in a way with the romance as well, because it it, it just focused all of her on that and yeah. you know, would you take love off, you know, this kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, and I wish she had and killed him. But <laughs> you know, then you know there's the whole Carol Danvers thing. So she stole Carol Danvers' powers, you know, and mm-hmm. and and, uh, and almost killed her. Um in the process and you know so there's this this great kind of internal struggle in rogue you know yeah um and you don't really get to see that come to its fruition until you're in age of apocalypse you're like wow she's a general she's like a fucking she's a machine like she can she can she's conquered all this but she's still a little bit there's still a little bit in her, you know, which yeah. which is really endearing. But but um, yeah, I I you know that's the that's the kind of rogue I I, I much prefer, you know. Um, yeah, totally. I thought of that before. Yeah, hard to disagree. She, she like uh, when you kind of said she was really interesting until they set her up as a as a romantic character. I never caught that before. Yeah, you're you're dead right. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Her, her and Punk Storm, you know, they were they were they were the way forward for me. Now they were. Thought, yeah, a hundred percent. It's it's like it's you know, hopefully. That's not the way it took, like, I'm not going to sp- speak for all comics, but obviously during the 90s, especially in the 80s, you know, female characters were, were female characters in name only. There wasn't any depth to them. They were there to be love interests or, or damsels. 
and that was a stage during the eighties with the with the X Men where they were really pushing female characters. And then oh, yeah. once you introduce a love interest, then it becomes about that. Yeah. You, it becomes about the man. The, the, mm-hmm. If the female character ends up being defined by the male character, which is often obviously obviously a really like low level way to write characters. Yeah. And then in this, she's like, yeah, she's, they they go off for a mission and they know they're going to die. And she walks out the door and goes, I'm going to get my kid. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. And like, you're just like that about, about female characters and the the way the X-Men approach them. Like the latter half of the eighties, Storm was leading the team. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And she's, she's, um, you know, she's, uh, she's incredible and amazing X-Men. She's, she's badass in this. Uh, Rogue is the leader of the astonishing X-Men when, when Magneto's not there, you know, <clears throat> uh, Jean Grey, Kitty is basically yeah. like, just is badass as Shadow mm-hmm. Like they really did write really incredible female characters yeah. before anybody else was really doing it. Like, yeah. Okay, so we're going to move things along because, uh, you know, we we could probably talk about this for another Yeah, we go through every roster and every reincarnation of a character. Let's strap in. Who didn't make it? Who did? Before we go, man, before we go... um, Give us, uh, give us a ray of hope. What are you looking forward to? Anything, anything? Uh... Oh, I have a peach for this. Because of the week that's in it, and obviously because of who, who, and what I do for a living. Uh, um, in the last couple of days, I, I don't like to take any pride in this. Uh, I think it's an amazing milestone that's going to is an indicator of what what the next year is going to be. But uh, unfortunately, Disney Strange World didn't really succeed at the, uh, in the box office. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a huge indicator in possible missteps by Disney uh, in the last, probably throughout the entire last two years because they've pushed a lot of their feature film, feature animated movies have been appearing on Disney Plus without a cinema release and without a lot of backing. Yeah. And Strange New World or Strange Worlds has kind of flopped in the cinema. And the reason I bring it up why this is a ray of hope for me is because next year I think we're going to get possibly, possibly two of the biggest animated movies box office wise that we will ever have in the in, in the Western world. In the Western world, we're going to have Spider-Verse 2, mm-hmm. the sequel to Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, uh, Sony's animated f- film from a couple of years ago, which in my humble opinion is probably the greatest animated movie of all time. Yeah. Uh, it's the greatest superhero film of all time. Mm-hmm. 100%. Um, and uh, it was an entire game changer for the industry. Yeah. Uh, I think because Sony had nothing to lose, they had to make a Spider-Man movie. And because some producers decided not to get involved, which was an incredible thing, we got a piece of art, absolute yeah. art. Uh, when you let creatives be creative and just have faith in them, you get that. Yeah. And I think that film was incredible. So next year we have Spider-Verse 2 coming out. Just question before is, you get to the next part, right? Yeah. I'm struck by the parallels 
between Age of Apocalypse and Spider Man. <laughs> there you go, yeah. <laughs> you know, nothing to lose. Nothing to lose. There's that's everything. And and you get gold. You get absolute gold. Yeah. Um, one is a fairly positive outlook on an existence, and one is the absolute <laughs> most bleakest yeah. thing you'll ever read. <laughs> uh, yeah. <clears throat> but still, P- Peter Parker dies in both. Mm. Um, um, yeah. But. Uh, so whether or not they can capture lightning in a bottle, that's my big my big worry. Um, uh, it's only been done once. I think Toy Story two. Uh, no, it's been done twice actually. DreamWorks did it with. Uh, I think Kung Fu Panda two is better than Kung Fu Panda one. Yeah, uh, and I think Toy Story two is possibly the greatest sequel ever made. Better than Godfather two. It it's probably the greatest sequel ever made uh, whether or not Spider-Verse 2 can meet the lofty expectations because yeah. nobody expected anything going into Spider-Verse and that's why it was such a shock to the system but also such an incredible milestone so I think that's going to be something to really pay attention to uh, and see if they can actually replicate it let alone do better the first line um, the first line of dialogue has to be okay <laughs> Let's get. Let's start this again. You know, yeah, gotta, yeah, it's exactly. Be it's got to be that, right? Yeah. Um, and the other, it's two animated films that I can't wait for next year. Uh, and it's the second one is Super Mario. Oh, cool! Yeah, yeah. Like, hands down, Super Mario. That's going to be the biggest film in the world. I think, I think that has the possibility to be the biggest selling animated movie of all time. Yeah, people are underestimating the, the market for that. Yeah. Uh, not uh, and on top of that, it was an IP that every animation studio went after. There's no question about that. I am a hundred percent sure Pixar, Disney, DreamWorks—they all chased us. Yeah. How Illumination got us, I will never understand. I I love those guys, but they're—I would never have said they were the front runner for that gig. Uh, the very first trailer blew me away. The second yeah, trailer had me in absolute tears absolute <laughs> tears for everybody who's listening if you think I'm a fan of the X-Men or Spider-Man or any of the other stuff that I've said they all pale in comparison to my fandom on Super Mario Man. and I genuinely tell you when the Rainbow Road turned up in the trailer I screamed with delight <laughs> I cannot believe I'm going to get to see this on screen and I, I I think Super Mario is an IP that nobody has any idea how big it is. In reality, nobody really does, Dave. Uh, the Lego are doing Super Mario sets at the moment. Yeah. They're unstoppable. Yeah. Like, And I, I would have, as a Lego fan, I would have gone, I'm never going to buy that. They're huge. Absolutely huge. One of the best things Lego ever got their hands on. Um, it's, it's funny you say that. There's there's always characters in Lego that had like you know blue dungarees and stuff, and like yeah. and my brother would always like make Mario and Luigi's out of these with like red hats or whatever closer to a green hat you could get. You know, so to see the the actual sets come out now is pretty cool. Yeah, it's amazing, yeah. and I, and I think that that film coupled with Spider Verse, coupled with Disney's misstep this year. And with, with with how they've been, how they've mistreated Pixar in the last two years. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, how they've mistreated Pixar in the last two years. I think next year we're going to see a shift in the powers of, of animation. 
in, in terms of worldwide box office and and for the first time ever people are the 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 big two you know the big kahuna is going to be knocked off this off their perch and while i don't revel in that idea because i'm a disney fan and they're you know i would work for them in the heartbeat and have worked for them in the past and they're incredible at what they do i think we're going to see an opening that may allow for animation to flourish in a way that hasn't been allowed to in quite a while. Amazing. And, Amazing. Yeah, I genuinely think, um, I think we'll be absolutely delighted with what, what where things are going. I think, I mean, like if you look back, the Lego movie was an incredible step towards mm-hmm. something totally new and totally allowable. Look at, Guillermo del Toro is after making a Pinocchio movie, stop motion Pinocchio movie. You know, like we're, we're animations on the cusp of not only like the industry itself is kind of on shaky ground at the moment uh, with some of the, with some of the streaming stuff. And I think it's the streaming side of things that has caused some of these eruptions. But I, I think the audience is there. Yeah. I think families want to go and see the Super Mario movie. Yeah. They will kill to go and see this. And I think the fans of Spider-Verse don't want to watch it at home. They're going to want to watch it in the cinema. Oh, 100%. You know, yeah. For, for yeah. Like that, you know? and, and I think we've another Leica movie next year as well. Yeah, there's a Leica movie coming. There's um, uh, I'm, uh, DreamWorks have a couple of things on, on their plate as well that are coming. Um, there's a is, couple the Henry of... Fe- is Henry Selick moment Leica? Is that that one? Uh, uh, yeah, I think so. Is it? Things I'm not really totally too sure, but yeah, forest one. What's it called? But, but yeah, there's a like there's a quite a number of things coming next year that I, I, I as I said, I don't love the idea of reveling in the in in Dis, Disney stumble because I I think um I think it was a marketing issue more than it was uh, the hands of the studio itself, um. Because I'm sure yeah. Strange Worlds is probably incredible to watch. I haven't gotten a chance to see it myself. Same. But um but but I will say, you know, I th- I think you reap what you sow and Luca deserved to be in the cinema, Soul deserved to be in the cinema. Uh I thought turning red was incredible. Should have should have been in the cinema. And when you build an audience to watch something on a streaming site, I mean Netflix we're asked, we're begged to keep Glass Onion in the cinema last, you know, at the start of the, or at the end of last month. Yeah. They were asked, can they keep it longer? And they said, no, they would have made even more money off. It's it. such a limited run and it was still hitting yeah. trees everywhere, you know? Yeah. And, and it's like, with the, it, the audience is clearly screaming out for it in the cinema. And I think, unfortunately, Disney set themselves up for a fall. I think I you think know, when, when you put data data heads in charge of entertainment, it yeah working. Huh? Yeah, so that's what I'm I'm really looking forward to the, to those two. They they're the big ones, and obviously what it'll mean for animation. Yeah, going forward because I have full faith that both those. Hey, I've said it since day one. It, the minute I saw the Sonic the Hedgehog trailer, actually, I went if they made a Super Mario movie in the morning, it's gonna blow away everybody yeah. else yeah. like it's going to be you don't put anything else on in the cinema that week and on top of it it looks excellent a it lot of people giving out, a lot of people giving out unfairly about Chris Pratt being I think, so too. Yeah. I think he's I think he's got the vocal range I think he's proved himself in several roles uh, and I think they didn't cast him 
for you know like a lot of people gave out that they didn't cast the original voice of, of Mario from the games I go there's a difference there you, mm-hmm. you have to cast a voice actor that's going to be able to carry the film for the whole yeah. thing but also you need to be able to draw in new people yeah um, and I think uh, him Charlie Day I think is an incredible cast it, it, weirdly if you look at the Lego movie I think that it's 90% of the vocal cast from the from the Lego movie uh, It's so Charlie Day as Luigi I think is absolutely inspired I think he's going to give that character everything he deserves um, and Jack Black is can do no wrong Jack Black in, yeah in animation yeah. he is yeah, like yeah, you know, um, I so I, you know, I think it's going to be incredible. Keenan and Keller, in it, right? Uh, Are they? Yeah. Who are uh, they in it? Although, uh, no, I might be miss, mixing up people now. Okay, don't worry. Uh, yeah, no, no, no. I'm going to put all the pressure on now. You have to remember exactly. Yeah, I can't remember. <laughs> but there's there's a huge voice cast anyway that that's going to be excellent on it. And uh, five minutes into that film, no one's going to care who voiced him. They're just no, going to be into the it. film. And I, but, you if know. you listen to the last trailer, I think I thought he sounded great. You know, yeah. he's into it. And he got yeah. Look, look. I'm a guy who went to see Super Mario live action with Bob Hoskins. <laughs> So, yeah, so you know, if I was if I was psyched for that movie, how do you think I feel for this? <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, but, uh, yeah. That that's that's. I think next year is going to be an, a, an adventurous year for animation. Yeah, man, amazing! Like, so what, yeah, fast though, you know, like just yeah. Um, it's gonna be it's gonna be some year. It is gonna be some year, and you're yeah. right. you're right to look forward to it, man. That's that's uh, that's a good and it's great to move from the uh, radiated universe where all the trees are cut down towards all the X Men and the heroes and Spider Man are dead to something a bit more optimistic about <laughs> Spider Man being like loads of Spider Man. <laughs> And uh, yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, Mario um, making a kind of a a big kick in a cinema release. But hopefully, this will be successful. Get more from him in this because there's. So much they can take from Mario from decades. Oh, I yeah. think there's this is the start of a trilogy immediately. Yeah, hopefully, yeah. You know, yeah. like yeah. Uh, Illumination or the, you know, they've proved themselves with Despicable Me. Mm-hmm. They, they can go five or six movies deep and keep going. Yeah. You know, I, I guarantee you there'll be a Luigi movie the following year. And oh, yeah, in the Haunted Mansion. And I told come out in October for Halloween. Yeah, just, yeah. just hang on. Yeah. Toad's going to get his own TV show, you know? <laughs> That's it. Like, yeah. yeah. You know, and... Um, dry bombs, yeah. you know, for for uh, yeah. for Halloween. Um, man, we could... Yeah, we could keep yeah. for another another couple of hours. <laughs> we, we're running out of tape, you know? Yeah. Gotta, yeah. Thanks for leaving for your time, man. I, I, mean, I, I apologize. I told you it was going to be a lot longer than you <laughs> thought it was going to be. Yeah, but but yeah. it flew by. It flew by. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much, Jamie. Really appreciate it. Yeah, no, it was it was excellent. Lads, uh, really, really enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, as I'm, you know, I'm more than happy to do this again. We can chat about other stuff. I can come up with more. So, um, <laughs> yeah, we but, must uh, still yeah. do it. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, no, it was excellent. <laughs> yeah, season two. But before you go anywhere, did you want to plug um, Pink Delicious? Do you want to mention when that's coming out? Yeah, or, I yeah, mean, yeah. Um, season four, uh, season four has just begun in the states. Pinkalicious uh, mm-hmm. and PB uh, and Peterific on PBS, uh, and you can see you can also see it on the PBS app. 
uh, for anybody based in Europe or outside of the US, it's not on actual TV just yet because it's it's it just airs on PBS, the TV station there. Uh, but you can see it on Amazon Prime. Season one and season two, as far as I know, are both on Amazon Prime. There is a funny side to that. You, if you go looking at Amazon Prime, it will say stuff like up to season seven. Yeah. Because of the nature of them separating a 52 episode season into 12 episode chunks. So the, the majority of the last, the, the first season anyway, is on Amazon Prime and you'll get to see it there. Um, and yeah, and fingers crossed, the third special will be out quite soon. I'm not entirely too sure what date it is, but I think it's February. Awesome. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Oh, uh, brilliant. Yeah, okay. thanks. We will uh we'll we'll throw your, your social handles into the uh, the episode notes if anyone wants to wants to track you down. Uh, yeah, you can see some cool Jamie T and Peanuts S sketches on his Instagram. Yeah, yeah. man, that's amazing. Absolutely amazing. And uh, you did yep. Go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say you don't don't hesitate to say hi because uh if anybody has any, any animation questions or anything like that, I'm always happy to chat as you probably just heard from the last hours. <laughs> Make sure you got a comfy chair. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, Jamie, thank you so much yeah, for on the odds spot. It was serious. Yeah, it was fantastic. Talk to Thanks, you lads. Talk to you soon. Thanks for joining us on the odds pod. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Look out for the odds coming soon from Scout Comics. And please tell us what your favorite apocalypse is. You can find me on Twitter at Benessy. That's B-E-N-N-E-S-S-Y. And me on at Dave Hendrick. Big thanks to our producer, Adrian Carty, and we'll see you at the end of the world.